Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, calm. Can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Stand Up and Sit Down. We live in times of great challenge, and this episode discusses ways to meet these challenges without aggression. With daily commitment to meditation practice, our good posture helps to develop physical stability. By taking a posture of confidence, we naturally develop the strength to open our heart to our world. This inner strength enables the confidence to not only endure, but fully participate in a challenging world. While it may seem easier to use meditation to bypass the suffering of the world, Pain is nonetheless part of the world we've inherited. The engaged practitioner develops the courage to stay on their seat facing the world as it is. In this way, we learn to sit down in order to stand up. Today we are joined by Joseph Mauricio. Joe is a longtime student of Shambhala Buddhism, as well as an author, speaker, coach, teacher, and chaplain. As the founder of LifeWork Mindfulness-Based Coaching Services, Joe offers Buddhist and Shambhala training principles to help private and corporate clients manifest lives of dignity, sanity, and strength. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Joe to take away the discussion. Today's talk is going to be about how meditation practice can be a very practical uh, way of developing our baseline self-care, self-love, self-healing, and also strength, that we could actually develop a sense of very natural confidence from our meditation practice. Now, I know Some of you have studied maybe Buddhist teachings for a while, studied meditation for a while, and you're a little skeptical about the idea of too many selves. I just laid a lot of selves out there. But this is not the same as egotism. And I'm going to draw a distinction in that in our talk later. But the idea, if we can care for ourselves in ways that are appropriate and non-indulgent, that aren't about clinging and grasping, aren't about running away from our responsibilities as citizens of the world, but basically are ways that we are basically shoring ourselves up so that we could be helpful to the world and helpful to each other. And we could be better citizens, friends, lovers, and spouses, and dog owners. That, you know, generally, if we feel good with ourselves, 
then we are more of a benefit, even if we don't do anything, even if we don't go out of our way to be, uh, you know, it, you know, the bodhisattva that many of us aspire to be, even if we are not the second coming of Mother Teresa, we actually could just be kind, friendly, and positive in our world. And that makes a huge difference, really. Smiling at somebody, being kind enough to hold the door for somebody, being gentle with people in our life because we feel okay about ourselves from our meditation practice. You see, when we don't feel so good because the world has gotten us down, because things have created blockages in our energetic being, because we are losing our inner strength, then we're really no help to others, even when we're trying to help. And that sometimes makes it even worse. So what I'm suggesting is to be a benefit to the people in our world requires the cornerstone of self-care, self-love and self-connection. And egotism is when we are wrapped up in ourselves and we feel like we need more things and more things and we actually are out of balance and pulling things away from other people to fill ourselves up. In fact, we don't need to do that at all. A particular characteristic of the Shambhala teachings, and it's something I'm very, very much in love with, the idea of what we call basic goodness. The idea that all of us has this basic sense of well-being, goodness. It is our great human potential, and it is innate in all of us. And sometimes it's more manifest than at other times. But all beings, all forms of life, all life in the universe is an expression of this goodness. In Tibetan teachings, they have a term Dominic Zangpo, which means it's all good and meaning that everything is fundamentally good and can be viewed in a way that's positive. Now, this does not mean there's not evil, that there's not difficulty, that there's not challenges, that there's not aggression in the world. There's all of those things. But from some point of view, many of those things are the result of people not recognizing their own goodness and trying to appropriate or take more than they need to take from the world around them because they feel insecure and broken and incomplete. I'm not making excuses for people that are causing harm in the world, but I am saying that it, there is an interesting way of looking at the world and even its difficulties by thinking that it's possible to move beyond the difficulties, to actually even, as I've heard it said, smile and fear. 
our own fear. And that doesn't mean diminishing it. It doesn't mean ignoring. It doesn't mean dissociating it. It means accepting it and smiling at it. And going fear is a basic human experience. We all experience it. We react differently and respond differently to it. Some of us ignore it. Some of us push past it. Some of us cave in to it. But all of us experience fear. And in this day and age, in our modern life, in the world the way it is right now, there's a lot of reasons to be fearful. And there are also a lot of reasons to be cheerful. Being cheerful and positive about the world is not mutually exclusive with feeling frightened or depressed or unhappy. See, there's a basic feeling, and, and I'm gonna use words that I'm defining myself here. You may have different definitions for these words, but I'm doing it to express a meaning. Let's say there's a difference provisionally here speaking between us, between happiness and joy. And that happiness is devoid of depression. It's devoid of fear. Happiness is a state of being where we are not connected to any of the negatives in our life because the happiness is like a big glowing sunshine that's, you know, obscuring all the subtle things and the shadows around us. And happiness is fine and it's okay to go to the beach and it's great to be with friends and a good cheeseburger if you're not vegetarian is a, can be a wonderful thing you know but happiness is fleeting because that suffering that difficulty that fear that we all live with is still there joy on the other hand is i'm ex using that term to express something deeper this feeling that we can be positive despite or maybe even because of the sadness strange as that might sound we could be absolutely joyful and brokenhearted simultaneously in fact that sad joy is considered in the shambhala teachings to be very much a gateway to greater realization and understanding. If you take further classes, you'll study an idea that we have called the genuine heart of sadness. And the idea is that sadness, even though it's something we think we don't want or do anything we can to avoid, in fact, is a very extraordinarily genuine feeling. When we have the vulnerability to actually feel the way we feel, we're actually engaged and connected to our world in a way that's authentic, that's not cranked up, that's not trying to make something happen that isn't happening. We actually are willing to accept who we are and where we are and are actually strong enough to be able to open up and share with others in a way that's 
positive and joyful, right? Which is possible. I think the cornerstone for getting to this place is the practice of meditation. And meditation as we do it in the Shambhala system is based on two principles, mindfulness, which is this attention specifically to detail and awareness, which is a sense of the greater context that that mindfulness is in. Now, again, we're running into semantics and you may use those words differently, but mindfulness is very overused actually term at this point. But I mean it in a very specific way. When we pay attention to the breath, we're being mindful of the breath. When we come back here and pay attention to our heart and our feelings, we're being mindful of our feelings. And that mindful connection can be seen as an expression of loving kindness. It's a way of connecting to ourselves in a very fundamental way. Like placing your hand on the back of a friend or petting a dog that's agitated, just basically making a connection to the earth that is soothing, comforting, and is actually an act of kindness. So every time in our meditation, and I'll give us kind of more thorough walkthrough of it, but when we actually do the meditation, when we come back to the breath, it's not just a mental experience. That's very kind of superficial, right? And a lot of us meditate that way. I did that this morning. I taught myself. Am I thinking? Am I not thinking? Am I, am I, it's up here, you know? But I'm going to suggest that mindfulness is a full body and full mind experience that we're actually connected to the present in a way that really, really grounds us and connects us to some real human goodness. Now that might be fleeting. You may come in contact with a few breaths and, and then the mind goes off again because our minds are not trained to be present and because all of us live with a little bit of agitation in here. So the mind wants to scamper off and do something. And like working with a puppy, maybe, uh, we just bring that dog back and bring it back and hold it to our heart, bring it back to the present. We're training the mind to be here, right? And the more we do that, the more we're capable of actually relaxing out further and further. You see, the more grounded we are in a very specific way, the more we're able to expand out generally into the environment. And that is the element of awareness, that second part. So the mindfulness is almost like the rhythm section of the symphony, and the awareness is all the instruments playing simultaneously in space. It's the space around it. So to illustrate it, if you're playing basketball, your mindfulness element is dribbling the ball and your feet on the ground, but the awareness is knowing where the people are around you and 
what you need to do next, right? If you're a dancer, you're working on specific steps on the stage, but you're aware of the space around you. And it's that awareness that I think people often forget about. Like, I think we all know mindfulness and coming back to the breath, but we kind of forget that our mind leaving the breath and spacing out, if you will, is part of the process of our training. Because when it does that, we have an opportunity to catch it. And we always do, don't we? You don't ever really just take off and start walking around the room. You pretty much catch yourself at some point and you go, oh, and come back to the breath. And that maybe is accompanied with a feeling of embarrassment or irritation, like, why am I all over the place? That's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I want you to celebrate that because every time you catch your mind kind of running away, you have an opportunity to take that puppy and bring it back to your heart and come back to the present, come back to now, right? So that's the process. What that process does, and if you're applying it in a way that is enhancing this feeling of kindness and love, you're actually calming your nervous system. You're actually calming the system that has become over agitated and freaked out. And you're also building your basic life force and calm slowly and in time. The meditation has benefits physically, emotionally, and psychologically. Obviously, it has benefits socially as well because you're not causing any problems when you're sitting and you're actually being a good citizen. One point I'd like to make about meditation, if it's going to be an ongoing concern for you, and I recommend that, people do daily practice as a way of connecting to their goodness, connecting to their heart, and resynchronizing with ourselves, you know? When um, I studied meditation with a Tibetan teacher, and the Tibetan teacher comes from a more horse culture, right? That was very important in their history and their culture in Tibet, all through Mongolia and that whole area, this uh, relationship to horses, even to this day is really profound. And one thing that Tibetan teachers found funny was how in American movies, people, or Western movies, people jump on a horse and just ride off to catch the bad guy. And what the teacher said was, that's no way to treat an animal that's alive and that actually is capable of love and that you can make a real profound connection to. And he said, if you're really someone connected to horses, you meet them on a personal level. You touch them. You let them know you're there. And almost like ask permission to get on. And to some extent, that might seem a little impractical. But think about how we treat ourselves. We wake up in the morning and 
jump out of bed and start caffeinating ourselves and sometimes running out the door down the road or in some cases not even out the door but just onto zoom and without even ever saying good morning or hello or touching our own heart you're a living breathing human being you're not a machine you're not something that needs to be pushed and sort of you know threatened through the day but using meditation as a way to just connect to our own heart and say hey i'm here you know i'm here with you and we can do this we could do this day together or something like that um the mindfulness element is bringing yourself back to the present so you're not just going off in some reverie but the awareness lets you know if you're going off or not or what you actually need in your practice and at some point these ideas will all begin to make sense they'll all become synchronized and the meditation become a kind of a natural thing but if you become the regular practice what begins to happen is we develop this sense of confidence not born of ego but born of our real self-care, born of our real connection to our good heart. So I'd like to make a difference between the self part of us that is inflamed and thinks it needs and needs and grasps and clings and has a completely dysfunctional connection to our whole world because it needs to grasp and cling to everything it seems sometimes and the part of our heart that actually comes from confidence and that can actually experience a sense of openness and kindness and peace you see the more we feel okay in our heart the more capable we are of being present in our world and the world is in rough shape in a lot of ways and a lot of people trying to make it better are actually maybe making it a little harder to live in because everybody wants to do it their way everybody is driven not everybody but a lot of people are driven by their ego needs i want to feel better so i'm going to try to fix things or these people should believe this way the way i do and try to force people into certain ways of being like we're manipulating our world to make ourselves feel better meditation says feel better from the inside and then you could actually accept your world as it is and maybe make it better in a way that's really helpful because you'll know what to do and how to be and like i said we don't have to be mother teresa we could actually just be kind and pleasant and occasionally stop and listen to people and that might do more for people than we realize i'm not saying that there isn't a lot of work that needs to be done with the environment and with certain laws that need to be perhaps reconsidered or certain sort of social situations that are shifting and changing that we might can address what i am saying is though all of this can feel very overwhelming if we don't 
first synchronized with ourselves. The Tibetans have a term that they use about their inner strength and this sort of inner vitality. And the term is, again, referring to a horse, it's wind horse or the horse that rides the wind. And the term in Tibetan is lungta. And the idea of lungta is our vital life force energy. And that vital life force energy, lungta in Tibetan, maybe it's akin to prana in the yoga systems or chi in the Zen systems, you know, or the force in Star Trek, whatever it is that makes us feel alive and awake. I think most humans have that sense that there is this feeling of aliveness and awakeness. But what most of us do, and myself included, is we go about raising this lunta, raising our life force in ways that deplete it, like caffeine. <laughs> when I drink caffeine, it's a necessary evil in our world, but it's not really helping your life force, right? Yoga might be a little bit better. A walk in the morning might be good. Things that actually make us feel connected to our natural being, not things that are actually exaggerations of our ego that come from this feeling of paucity or incompleteness, like that we're trying to complete ourselves by manipulating our world. That's a way to exhaust ourselves. It's exhausting, it's tiring. We don't need to do that. The way to build lunta is just to begin to recognize the ways that we're depleting our life force through our diet, through our lack of exercise, through the wrong kind of exercise, through our worry, through our anxiety, and all of these things bad diet, anxiety, worry, are all things we're going to do, yes. But applying this idea of mindfulness, maybe we can do them a little less or more judiciously. So if we pig out on French fries at some point, maybe we bring that into balance with a little salad or green things or something. However, we need to become mindful about our experience in our life and find out what actually makes us feel better. Some people can't eat cheese. It does not make them feel good. Some people live on cheese, right? We're all different. We all have different physiologies in that way. And in a way, learning who we are and how we can best thrive is an amazing journey. Like we have the time now to actually connect to this being. What makes this being really happy? Not just happy in the superficial sense, but what makes this being feel joy, feel real openness? So the opposite of wind horse, when our feelings and our energy is up and high, is actually interestingly called drip or dreep, they say in Tibetan. It's spelt like drip, which is interesting because it means that we've depleted ourselves. We've 
kind of eroded our being. We haven't gotten the right kind of sleep. We haven't cared for ourselves. And everything then, when we're in a state of depletion, seems to be heavier and more pernicious than it needs to be. It's as though we have an emotional immune system and that emotional immune system becomes depleted. And when it does, just like our physical immune system, we are susceptible to any kind of adventitious disease or problem that comes around. Well, emotionally, the same thing happens. We're so depleted that our emotional immune system is compromised and we end up freaking out about the smallest things. And then if you're like me, your mind goes into catastrophe mode. John Kabat-Zinn calls it this full catastrophe mode. You just start seeing the worst situations in everything. And as though it's like this game the brain plays, let me see how dire I could make this scenario be. And our world becomes really hard and difficult. And all the things that we're worried about are probably really things to worry about. But it's because we haven't cared for ourselves appropriately that they all become a jumble and they all cave in on us sometimes. That's the cause of depression for a lot of people. It's really just all the stuff that is always there all coming at us at once caving in on us and clouding over our basic goodness and clouding over our life force, clogging it up. Breathe it out, blow it out. Sitting up straight is psychologically healing. Sitting up straight is a way of saying, I'm here. And I don't have to defeat anything. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to fix everything. I could just be here and be present for this. And that is an exciting proposition. As long as you're connected to your heart and you feel like you have that encouragement that we can give ourselves that I love you, friend. I'm here with you, we can do it. So let's sit up straight and be present in our world. I want to, in closing here, before we get into a discussion, mention that compassion and kindness, which is so empowering, is not giving ourselves away. stems from this feeling of self-care and self-kindness so that we then have the lungpa, the wind horse, the energy to be able to help and to be present. So when we can't do that, caring for ourselves is what the compassion is. And when we do put ourselves back into alignment, then opening up and giving that energy off is the way to increase that wind force. Because there is nothing as invigorating as being useful and being helpful to the world. It, it's wonderful. But you can't do that from a point of depletion, laying in bed going, I'm, then you're just saying, I'm useless. 
right? You're laying in bed going, I'm folding the fabric of time and space around me and I'm not going out and I'm going to hide here and feel badly about myself. We have to start here, encouraging ourselves, becoming kind to ourselves again and get to the point when we can sit up and get to the point when we can open and go beyond that cocoon of self-healing into the space of really self-actualization. It starts with love, but it ends with loving others and being really connected to our world. So being here, we're connecting to right now, to ourselves and to our basic feeling of goodness. But now we could open up and be present to the greater world around us and maybe be a benefit to someone or at least be able to experience the craziness that we are all experiencing in the world without it hurting us, you know, that we could all be here together in this. We are in this journey together. Anyway, I would love to open that up and, and have a discussion. We have a little bit of time and it's not necessary to keep on this topic. If you have something else you would like to share, that would be fine. If you have questions, please feel free. One thing I would recommend is ask me questions all you want if you want clarification you want to talk more about it, but let's avoid cross-talking with other people and let everybody else, everyone feel like they have their own space to just be themselves. And if somebody says something that you don't agree with, the good rule is yes and, <laughs> you know, yes, and I see it differently. Speak from your heart, from your truth. We don't need to argue with anybody. We actually are all here together in, in this space. So again, ask me anything you want and share whatever you like. So the floor is open. Hi, Aurora. Thank you, Joe. Oh, Joseph, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I, I'm wondering what something that I'm have been experiencing is that when I sit and try to meditate and I think of opening my heart, I, I feel this, I feel this like heat and intense, like pain and soreness in my heart. And I wonder if, like on my chest area, and I wonder if that if that's something that you have experienced or other people have experienced. I mean, I don't. It's, I don't think it's physiological. It's like this. It feels like opening is very vulnerable or something like that. Maybe, maybe that's the way I can think of it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have this, and this is, a, a thank you for that, because this is a good 
general bit of advice, I think, for everybody is we've, as humans, contemporaneously, we've inherited this very ancient physical system, right? The Our nervous system is um, really designed to protect us from danger in the wild, right? But that danger doesn't really exist nowadays, but the system still thinks it does. So everything that frightens us, even if it's emotional or theoretical or even not even accurate, but if we get frightened, we create this tension in our body. We shut down. And one place that we tend to shut down is right here in the heart center because that's where the ancient system was always trying to close down and protect itself, right? Because that's so vulnerable. Because of that, every time we've been hurt, even emotionally, it would seem crazy that we would protect ourselves, but that's what we do. We close off that heart center. We close off our upper back. Frequently, people, when they go through emotional difficulties, will throw their back out because the back is trying to protect that heart center, right? So what happens is we're not protecting anything anymore. It's just this old system. And what we're doing is we're actually taking the pain and locking it in, in a way, right? It's like our trauma gets locked in our body by the tension and our fear of it makes us sort of push it away a little bit. So when we do heart work in meditation, we're actually encouraging the heart to relax and open. It's sometimes painful because that's what's there in a lot of cases. Does that make sense? One thing that Pema Chodron, if you're familiar with Pema Chodron, and for those of you that are not, I recommend you check her out. She's an amazing Buddhist nun in the Shambhala tradition. And she's uh, just a wonderful teacher. And one of the things that she says that, that I remember her saying in, a, in an intensive I did with her is that we've all been wounded. And we carry those wounds around. And because we're, our natural tendency is to cover the wound up to protect it, right? Like you would with a bandage. But she says, what happens is we become embarrassed about it, or we feel like we're not, we're weak because we've been wounded. So we never take the bandage off and let the wound heal. So we walk around with this kind of abscessed, emotional wound that's always re-injuring itself because it's, it's really hard. So in the meditation practice, when you do heart practice, particularly practices like Tong Wen or Bodhicitta practices, you're actually encouraging the defenses around that heart center to relax so that the heart can open and heal. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Thank you. But it could be painful a little bit, but be, be kind, right? Be really kind. Oh. Anyone else?
not not to cross talk too much, but um, it's okay. I, I did just want to say that uh, Aurora, what you were talking about, reminded me of um, something that I experienced this week. Um, I got the first dose of the monkeypox vaccine last weekend, and I've still got a bruise from where the injection was. And for a, a, the first four or five days, I was like trying not to touch it. It was sensitive. It was painful. So I just was like trying to give it as much like. You know, I, I was sleeping on my left side, so I wouldn't lay on that side and stuff. Um, and then the other day, I like kind of was massaging a little bit. And I was like, oh, it's not that painful. And I realized like, oh, my body's like got like a whole bunch of stuff in there that it needs to break up. And if I'm touching it and massaging it, and working it, and using it, and laying on it, it kind of breaks it up and it gets less and less painful. And I'm so afraid of touching it because it's so painful to even like get like the idea of touching it but by like avoiding it by not engaging with it I'm actually slowing down the healing and I would be better off if I was able to you know be a little bit with that discomfort you know not trying to get painful with it or anything and not saying that this is the same situation obviously I'm talking about something very physical um not so you know emotional um but yeah just something that I was thinking about recently of you know, being so afraid of even touching it has led it to probably still be painful for longer than if I was able to just touch it and feel it. Yeah. Thank you, Bobby. That's very helpful. So is there anyone else that would care to share or Anyone with any thoughts? Hi, Sarah C. Whitehead. Hi. Um, <clears throat> so um, I went to the dentist today and it was bad. Um, <laughs> it was like, don't let anyone fool you. It's really bad to go to the dentist. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a lot of propaganda around their pro dental, but mm -mm. Um, I, I, um, so I, my practice came in handy is basically what I wanted to say. And, and particularly uh, this, this way. Okay. So when I'm in, uh, in a panic as I was at the dentist um, and I'm scared uh, and I start to like uh, contract and, and then what I usually notice is, is the shallow breathing and that I need to breathe more. And when I do that, I get in touch with my heart center and that's how I remember my heart center is by finding it with my breath. And it's become like I've done a lot of deliberate work to get to a place where that's happening automatically, like a lot of um, just de deliberate, intentional um, going in there, going into um places in the subtle body including the heart center and 
um, it, it, it has a center and, um, and that center touches infinity and it's absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, I got, I got to experience that today at the dentist's office. Um, after I sobbed and shook and, um, after the first shot, um, because I have, uh, I, I, I need more Novocaine than most people. And it takes me a lot longer to get numb and I've had it wear off during drilling. And so I'm just very phobic. Um, and, uh, the dental, uh, the assistant, um, was in there when I kind of had my meltdown and, uh, and I felt her heart open toward me. Like I, I asked her for a tissue and she, she asked if I needed any suction and I was like, no, I needed tissue. And then I just burst into tears and she was like, oh, oh, oh. And, and she gave me the tissue and she put her hand on me. And, um, and, and then I felt like it was going to be okay. Um, yeah. And then my dentist, this is the end of the story. I saw my, as I was checking out, I saw my dentist leaving with a lollipop in his mouth. <laughs> Can you believe that? And he wasn't trying to hide it or anything. It was like, all right, see ya. And he walked out the door. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love the, uh, break in the otherwise you know kind of heaviness of do it all the right way you know what I mean what a what, what do nice you mean little, well I mean you when you're a dentist you would think that you don't eat sugar or encourage people to eat sugar but right he, so it's kind of like a little bit of a, a wink and a nudge to being a little too religious about things. Right. Sounds like, yeah. Although I do have a backstory for him that I made up on the way home, which is that they're sugar free and he's trying to quit smoking. Well, that's, um, that's very creative. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.